Yael, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. In our previous episode, we did discuss about preparing a business for sale. Now let's dive into the process of selling a business. Can you walk us through the key steps and considerations involved? Sure, of course. Um, so uh, first of all, thanks for having me again. <laughs> Always nice chatting. It went very fast last time. Um, so, um, so yeah, so when, when you sell a business, we talked about, uh, how to prepare for it, you know, the things you need to think about before you sell the business and kind of when, when to start thinking and the bottom line last time that I was, you know, really talking about is start as soon as possible, right? Do you want, if you want to sell in a year, start now, there are things that you can do now that you can't do in a year. So now let's assume we're, you know, a year in and now you want to sell the business. The business is ready. It's growing. You have good margins. You think it's attractive and you want to go go to the market. Um, so what we usually do is we we look at your business. We uh, we look at the, the financials. Uh, we we understand your brand. Uh, we learn the brand, and then we tell the story. We know how to tell the story of your your brand. So once you do that, whether you do it alone or with an advisor, uh, you really want to present uh, to present your business as it is with all the advantages, and then you go to market. Uh, going to market means sending uh i mean presenting the business to all the relevant buyers not just one or two that you heard about not just 10 or 11 but all the relevant buyers at the same time so that so that you make sure you tap the entire market okay so for example if you present your business to one buyer the buyer is interested the buyer will negotiate with you you can get to a certain price, right? You, you negotiate back, you want more. But when you have 12 offers, you can really negotiate with multiple buyers and then the price will be here, okay? So it's not, you know, nothing, not genius, just just simple, you know, logic. When you have multiple uh, bidders on, on the same asset, then the price goes up. So you want to make sure you tap the entire market. Um, and the buyers are, there are different buyers. So there are the aggregators that many of us know. We see them, you know, we used to see them in, in many of the events. Uh, there, there are many lists of uh, aggregators. Some of them have not survived. Many of them are still, you know, very successful. Um, some of them are active less than others. Some of them offer low multiples. Some of them would offer a decent multiple for something they really want. These are the aggregators. We know them well. We know that the uh, the transaction uh, is relatively fast. They know what they're buying. Um, and the multiple isn't necessarily always what you have wished for, but some of them would, would offer still uh, a good valuation for your business. These are the these are the aggregators. And then you have private equity firms. Uh, so private equity firms have been looking at e-commerce businesses for the last for the last four or five years. Uh, but really in the last year and a half, two years, they're really getting into the, the process more actively. So they used to look at the businesses we sent and they were bidding here and there. And sometimes by now they're way more active than, than they used to be. And when you sell to to such to such a firm, uh, very often uh, the deal will look maybe a little bit different. So they would expect you to stay to they would to to stay in the business for uh, you know for a year or two years. 
uh, you would continue to run it and maybe keep some of the equity so you could sell, I don't know, 60%, 70% of your business and keep 20, 30, 40% of the, of the shares uh, of the ownership in that business. And then you continue to run it. And, and a year, two years later, you may want to sell the second part. So we call that the second bite of the apple. So sometimes when you sell the second part, uh, this piece becomes bigger than the first part because your business has grown. So imagine, for example, you have, I don't know, a million in annual profit and uh, on the and you sold 60% of the business for a multiple of six. OK, so you received six million uh, for for that million of uh, of EBITDA of uh, of annual profit, and then you sold sixty percent, so you still have forty percent in your in your business. This forty percent, you sell it later, so the profit wouldn't be a million anymore. You know, it can be higher, uh, and and sometimes that even if it's a smaller percentage, it would now be worth more than what you originally sold. Okay, so the the first part. Um, sometimes it's even funny. 30% of the business two years later is worth like the first 70%. So it, 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 you know, it depends how much you've grown during that time. Um, so, so that's, uh, these are private equity firm. Um, sometimes they would agree to, to, you know, to buy the entire operation and let uh, the seller go. If they have already a platform, if they have already, uh, you know, another uh, operator that uh, in, in this space, but, but very often you'd stay involved. And the third uh, kind of, uh, there, are, there are many kinds of buyers, but another uh, kind of buyers that we see for the bigger businesses would be strategic buyers. Uh, so for example, your, uh, I don't know, a toys company, uh, and then I don't know, Toys R Us would be interested in buying your brand, your uh, a beauty brand, and L'Oreal would look at your brand. So I'm just throwing, of course, big names, but that you all know, but these are not necessarily such you know large companies. Um, so, uh, so, so that would be another example. And, and recently I'd say in the last year and a half, two years, uh, many of the transactions actually go to strategic buyers for, especially for the, the larger brands. Okay. So if you're a brand with, you know, 300, 400, five, 600 K of annual profit, that would maybe let be less relevant. If you have 2 million in profit that, you know, a million and a half that starts, you know, to, to interest the, those particular buyers. Um, so these are the the different buyers. So you you packed it, you presented your story really, really well. You you tap the market, you go to all the relevant buyers at the same time, and then you start receiving offers, uh, LOIs as we call it, letter of intent. Okay, so these are you know letters showing their intent to to buy your business for a certain multiple. You negotiate. We have our tactics how to negotiate with fifteen different offers. You do it. You know, sometimes you would do it in 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 different levels, different steps. With this one, this one, um, and then and then you get to that maximum offer that you wanted. Once you sign the LOI, it means that you potentially. I mean, you agree to sell to that buyer uh, if everything goes well and and if you pass the due diligence then starts a process where the buyer checks your business. That's called the due diligence. Uh, during that time, the buyer would check your financials. The buyer would check your account health. 
the the buyer would check all the you know lawsuits anything you had that you know that goes in that that happened in the past they would review to make sure that they're buying something that you know won't fall the next day basically and they want to make sure that the numbers you presented are correct so they will go and look at your invoices uh the invoices with the supplier the invoices with uh with the, your logistics and and all the different expenses they would check it so the fact that you'd say I have, you know, I have an annual profit of a million. That's not enough. They would obviously check it really invoice by invoice. Um, so that's the, the due diligence process. You finish that due diligence process. They send you a full agreement. Your law reviews it. Usually there's a lot of back and forth on that because the buyer wants wants you to represent and declare many things to protect them. So for example, they, they can ask you to represent that you've uh, you've uh, always respected Amazon's policies and you've never done anything against Amazon's policy. Obviously you cannot you cannot declare that because you, you cannot know as a seller, you cannot know that you never uh, you know violated any rules. So you would push back to you know to to kind of uh, as far as you know, you haven't done this and that, except for one, two, three, four, and these are problems. And then you declare the problems that you had. Okay, so I declare I never had an IP lawsuit except for one, two, three, four. Uh, so these are representations uh, that you have in, in in those contracts. So there's you want to protect yourself because if you declare something that's wrong, the buyer can come back to you and say, "Hey, you sold me this. Now this happened." pay me back. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you don't, you want to sleep well at night. So you actually declare everything. You want to make sure that you haven't left anything and, and that you, you know, they know what they're buying. Um, so we always tell our clients to say everything. And we, by the way, start that process very early uh, in the, in, you know, in our process. So we, when we learn the business, when we, before we even tell the story, we look at the business fully to make sure that there are no issues. And if they are, we know how to, you know, to explain to them. So we're, we are ready. Um, so that's kind of the process. And then if you, uh, you pass the due diligence, you sign the contract, then you migrate your assets, you pass on the, your uh, Amazon account to, to the buyer or your shares in the company. It depends if they buy the company or they buy your assets and then you get uh, the money. Okay, so that's kind of the, that's the the full process. Loved it. I, I loved like in 10 minutes, we learned so, so, so much. And she's like going <laughs> through all the steps, all the processes. I loved it. I do have a lot of questions right now. Yes, so we went through all the steps. Basically the steps was you prepare the business. Here it is your business. Now you're offer like showing your business. So here it is finding multiple, maybe platforms and so on to, show off your business then the business gets eyeballed attracted and those eyeballs then put in their offers right so far so afterwards what we're doing is the due diligence process when someone says i'm interested in this let's see what are the steps on my end that i should be taking right that is uh for by the way like the due diligence process because you were talking about three types of buyers and you were mentioning that for aggregators is usually a shorter period for the other type of businesses 
How does it go? It, it's two, yeah, for aggregators, it's about two months, uh, okay. I would say. And for other types of businesses, you know, since it's the first time they see an Amazon business, sometimes, sometimes it's the first time they buy it, it can take more. So we, we've seen cases where it took four months or we try to, when when we lead the way, we try to to restrict that time in, in the contract so they don't take their time. And, the, and then, you know, you may, the business may change. You may lose other opportunities during that time. So you want to do it as short as possible and possibly not not more than than two months got it so and also a follow-up question usually private equity type of businesses are those the common businesses that oh, okay i just discovered that amazon business is one thing and it might make potential profit for me so i have zero background in amazon but i'm thinking of buying this or are they more sophisticated buyers uh, there are sophisticated buyers. Very often they would buy, you know, a, a D2C business, like a Shopify business in, in beauty. And then they have another Shopify business in, in another industry. And then, and then they would see an interesting Amazon business. They would add it to that, you know, DTC business. So usually they focus on specific uh, categories or vectors uh, in, in, you know, in their space. Uh, and then they would buy multiple business uh, so, so that one can benefit from another. There's usually a logic behind. They don't just buy any any EBITDA. Um, they try to buy something consistent to have like a, a pool of uh, of several brands under the, the same umbrella. Um, so mm. actually, these are very sophisticated uh, buyers. And there's usually a reason for which they would buy the business because they think it would add to the platform that they have or they want to 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 add an additional platform in which they will buy additional businesses. Got it. So is this similar to the third type of seller? It's just like at a smaller scale, maybe? Um, strategic, yeah. Uh, private equities are, you know, they they raise funds uh, and then they use that fund to buy several businesses. Strategic buyers are just companies in in this specific field that we think, oh, I would maybe add another brand. But uh, like again, think of uh, I don't know uh, uh, Disney or think of L'Oreal. Uh, who would buy your business? L'Oreal is not a private equity firm. By the way, they may have an arm of a uh, financial arm, but but those uh, th those companies are in a specific field, and then they would decide to buy uh, a brand in their uh, in their category. Um, so so a bit different. One is more uh, financial, and then would focus on on several categories. And one is simply a company. You know, I'm an investment bank. I may want to buy a small investment bank. You know, you're uh, you're uh, sometimes the strategic buy would be a seller. Uh, I, I you know I say I'm a ten million. Uh, seller in the selling bottles and I one of my competitors tiny maybe a million half a million I would buy it to kind of to have two brands under the same category so sometimes the strategic may be actually a, a competitor on on Amazon uh, so with that, by the way, we're careful because we we don't want to go to uh, to your competitor and kind of and show all your numbers and and, and everything. Uh, even after an NDA, you still want to be careful. So when we do that, it's it's uh, it's orchestrated. It's uh, you know we do that very very carefully. Oh, I love that. And I love all the details. And by the way, um, this last point that you just brought up about bringing your business to a competitor, um, you were talking about NDAs and so on. I think that this is also something that became as a strategy right now as 
sellers become way more advanced, way more knowledgeable. They are listening to this type of podcast, you know, they're like, oh, that makes sense. You know, I could go to the competitor and sell my business in that scenarios. If someone is going to do that, which are the things that they should really look out for? Yeah, I, I, you know, when you described it at the beginning, I uh, we you pack your business and then you put it on the platform and you have eyeballs. That's kind of uh, that's what you see in some of the platforms. Uh, and that could also be problematic. I actually know people who subscribe to these buying platforms just to see types of businesses and yeah. get information. So uh, a lot of time, I mean, the process that we do, for example, is very discreet. It's not, we don't publish your business on our website and wait for buyers to come. We're actively approaching only relevant buyers. So, you know, if, you know, even if we have, you know, thousands of, of uh, different buyers in, in, you know, in their database, we would only go to those who can and want to buy businesses of this size in this category and who are active. We're always checking. If you're not active, you're out. Um, so, and that's exactly because of that, because we don't want to spray and pray and, and provide information to people. Even if they signed an NDA, you want to do it only for, for you, you want to provide some of the information and you want to do it only to those that that are relevant so so you know especially if you go to a competitor be very very careful you usually do it in in several steps and 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 we have the experience to kind of know when when it's serious of course you know you can you you can go wrong but uh, you you would usually provide a more sensitive information that they cannot get online um you would do it at really the last minute and only provided that one two three four five <laughs> love it love it you know what like right now we are really in a home purchase or home home buying process and what you described actually it's very much similar to the exact same process you know and something like that just clicked to my mind right now what you were saying you being very filtered and knowing exactly the type of potential buyers that are interested within this uh, business uh, just reminded me of the our realtor has her own like website where are only the deals that she wants to show to someone right so I think that's also the filtration process that you're talking about correct yeah 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 yeah, yeah. We're, we also have a kind of a, a platform but it, it's very very important uh, I think for for e-commerce businesses to to be to be discreet and and careful it's a competitive word sometimes you know if just by knowing your cost of goods you know you can use that uh that process of course that by the way the identity of your suppliers never ever tell and even when we do a deal and we go only at the last minute before the money is transferred they you know they know the the identity of uh, of the suppliers that's very very sensitive information never tell that Got it. So I love the process. I love the detailness of it. Now let's get into really due diligence. And you were talking about the buyer really wants to protect themselves. Sellers, yes. yeah, they might have someone who is going to guide them, like advise them. But most people, they are doing it for the first time. They don't even know what questions to ask, which are the things that they should be thinking of. Okay, I just want to be sure that I'm not being burnt, as you were saying. Buyers might be more sophisticated, sellers not so much. 
Yeah. So usually the buyer would send you a list, right? Uh, if you're a seller and you're selling the business, the buyer would send you a list of things that you need to provide. And I would say, you know, use your common sense if you're a seller. If the buyer asks you, like I said, for the identity of your supplier, is that the right time? I mean, you haven't received the money or then the money is not in the, not even at the escrow. Um, so is that, you know, are you taking a risk by providing that information? So, you know, always think twice before you provide it. If it's an information that, uh, you know, anybody can find uh, online, you know, your revenue, I can use Helium 10 to know it. I mean, that's not, no, uh, there's, there's nothing serious about that. And there are also steps that you do and you kind of, you know, you need to put some faith in, in the bar because at the end, the bar won't buy something that they don't know. Um, so at the stage of, I, I think that at the stage of due diligence, especially if it's a, it's if it's a company that you've checked and vetted and you know they can buy you, you know they've made acquisitions in in your particular uh, industry. If if that's the case, then uh, then then you can and and should provide most of the information that that buyers ask you. So uh, you sign an LOI, you know the the buyer, you vetted it, the buyer, uh, and then they ask you to uh, you know talk about losses that you have. You will provide that type of uh, type of information. If it's if if you're not sure about the buyer, you haven't heard of the buyer before uh it's not a large uh you know company that ever anybody has heard of uh then i would be very careful honestly you know they are like you said there are there are people out there that you know are thinking of buyer buying but right now they're not sure so why not checking you know why why not waste your time by 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 checking your business um and even the the reputable buyers you know some of them are just throwing LOIs and and then they buy maybe a third of of what they you know what they intend to buy. So once they check, they, they some of them they won't buy. So be careful with that. I gotta say we haven't seen many many issues with uh, you know with people who uh, you know were abused or people who gave information and the next day the buyer used it to start their own business in this field you don't see that much what you do see is uh, people who waste their time and eventually it doesn't lead to anywhere so that that happens unfortunately very often and uh, and, and that's why you know sometimes the best way is simply to 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 consult uh, ask around use an advisor or whatever but don't don't do it just blindly yeah exactly and getting back to your point i think it's really the unknowns so which are normal things which are unusual like as you were saying hey is this is this a reputable buyer is this like what do i know about them what questions do they ask and so on and yeah. at the end i think you are going to become more smarter more sophisticated is this a person who's really just like wasting my time or is this person really interested i think that yeah. is like that is already a huge, okay, once that you understand that, also the process that you're going through and everything what you're preparing and the way how you're approaching things is going to be way more effective rather than uh, even I don't know what to think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sometimes, you know, we had a case recently where we advised the client to take the third best offer. Uh, the, the first offer was uh, a buyer that has never bought anything in their space and nobody really knows them. The second, the second best offer was a buyer that we actually know and we, we've seen many issues with them and we know that it's like 
30% that you'll get uh, till the end, but 70% that you won't. And so they took the third offer, which was a, a buyer that we know we've already done six transactions with. We know where they're tough. We know how to negotiate with them. So, you know, so sometimes that that's simply the case. It's not necessarily the, the highest offer that's the best and, you know, and that will lead you to the best result. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. And I also love the, your approach because that is very, very important. At the end, it is also your interest to make a good deal for your clients. So yeah. because once that they got a good deal, you got a good deal as well. So are there any strategic or specific strategies or tips that you can share for maximizing the value and appeal of your e-commerce business? You were talking about ensuring that you share the best story or the story of your business. Would you mind yeah. following up with that? Yes. Uh, so a lot of, uh, you know, around maximizing the value a lot of it is the preparation first of all okay so uh even on the even on the numbers uh you know some 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 sellers sell their business they present the the pnl and they calculate the profit in a certain way while if someone you know an advisor or someone in the industry would calculate it, it would be 200k higher or 100k higher. So depending what you really call uh, the the you know the profit in this case, the profit is not necessarily always the net profit. Um, so for example, a lot of time in our industry, the the owner's salary is added back to the profit. So you don't counting in. So th- these are these types of of calculation that alone. Imagine 200k if you multiply it by five six it's a lot of money that you're losing just by not doing the things right. Um, so that, so maximizing, first of all, think right of the numbers, learn how to present the, the PNL and, and do that right. When it comes to telling the story, uh, a link to an account is, is not enough if you have more than a sim- simple Amazon business. Uh, if you have patents, if there are, you know, future developments, if you have uh, future products in the pipeline, all these have value that you want to present. And if you present everything, for example, we had we had a client that told us that they, you know, they received an offer and that's only for uh, their, uh, let's say, German company and German operation. But what they never presented is their plan to go to the U.S., and it's already done. They've already done all the preparations, uh, the warehouse, everything. It's about to start in the U.S. That alone can double the business. So when you sell it and you only present that part uh, and you don't go deep into the details of the second part, you get valuations for that part. Um, so a lot of our work is to, you know, is to extract that information from the seller. That seems obvious for the seller sometimes. But it's not. It's a lot of uh, the value. When you come with the company, when you sell, for example, to a private equity firm, uh, you yourself are an asset. Um, so, you know, if you stay in the business, what does it mean? Could you could you uh, I mean, are you the one who's going to to grow the business? What happens if you weren't in the business? You alone are an asset. Sometimes you can even add we have a client that is now managing several brands of that buyer um so so that's an asset that you you should take into account make sure you you present everything um as you should to to maximize the profit and then the third thing that's essential is like i said create competition you can't miss you cannot miss the any buyers so 
So if you do that, if you tap the entire market and you presented it to all the buyers and you presented the numbers uh, in in the right way, of course, very, very accurate. And, uh, and then you told the story right. You presented all the advantages of, of the business. You know, you could not get more for, for that business. Um, so, so that, these are the, the, the three things that need to be done. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and if you do that, you, you know, you know, you maximized it, you know, you created competition, you know, that's the value. It may not be the value that you want, by the way, sometimes, you, you know, you do all that and you get a four X or three X and you're not happy and you won't sell, but you know that this is the value. That's uh, that's what I'm saying. If you speak with one buyer, you negotiate a bit, they saw your Amazon account, nothing else. You may you may leave half a million, a million, two million on the table, and you don't know. Mm, loved it. Super deep, super insightful. Today's episode is going to top every other episode. I don't suppose to say that, but I loved it. Thank you so much for sharing you so Thank much. Thank you. Yeah, so much so detail. Much. Yeah, I think it means a lot. You know, I think most sellers is not necessarily they don't know how to do it right, but they don't have all the details behind. You know, I am very. I must rationalize so many stuff. So you coming and like giving all the details for me, that's very important. And I feel that most sellers, just because they don't have that, they are not making the most out of their hard work. They built up a business from zero, you know, and then they don't know how to, how to sell it and how to present it and how to ensure that they really did to the last minute, the best out of it, you know? Yeah. It just before letting you go, you touched base on something important that, again, it's a very frequently asked question. Once someone decides to stay on the business, and uh, you were talking about you, your client who actually became a manager of several other brands. Yes. Uh, talk us a bit more about that without giving like specific details. Yeah, so uh, that client uh, had uh, had a large uh, operation with an entire team, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and when uh, when he was sold at the beginning, they said he would stay for three four months just to hand over the business, and then they asked him to stay for a few more months to you know to to help uh, grow his particular brand, and then they offered him a salary to stay and and kind of manage continue to manage that team. He was ready to leave the team. Uh, to manage, but they understood that they really need him to lead them. Um, and after some time, they saw that his brand was was growing way more than than any other brand that they have in their portfolio. So they offered him to stay and manage additional brands. Um, so he's still there today. is uh, is very happy about it. I think it's a very you know it's a win win. They uh, they're happy. He he's seeing his brand grow, so he's seeing the earnouts of the future payments that are based on on the growth of his business and he's um, and he's happy with the with the and and they're happy because he's growing the additional brands that they have so and his brands of course so um so it's a win-win loved it is this something typical uh no actually you know most transactions if you look historically most aggregators would uh, you know would let the the seller go and manage it themselves if you look at the last 
year or two, a lot of the transactions that we've done, the 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 seller uh, remains uh, remains active because because first of all, some of them are not to aggregators and they go to strategic and and PEs, which which tend to to leave the the seller. And even aggregators are now um, you know asking in some cases for the seller to stay because they because they see the advantages uh, by now. Yeah, loved it. I think we did it. It was absolutely amazing. So my last wrap up question, have you come across any captivating books or like source of information in the recent weeks since we talked that you that had maybe a profound impact on you and you're willing to share it with our audience? A book? A recent what? Book, a recent information, book? whatever source of information, something that you would like to share with our audience. Uh, a recent source of information. Uh, for me, the 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 most exciting. It's may it may be off topic, but it's a it's a source of information that the most exciting and amazing thing that happened is ChatGPT and AI. I'm like completely in it and asking and and consulting all the time on on everything. Like you 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 wouldn't uh, you wouldn't imagine. Um, and we're we're doing an event now, and like the first topic I was looking to uh, to have a speaker on was uh, how to use AI as uh, first of all as a source of information, but as uh, as a tool for for e-commerce sellers. If you're a seller and you haven't explored that, you need you you absolutely need to do it. Have you done it, by the way? Are you uh, are you already a ChatGPT uh, expert? I shouldn't not like share my secrets, but to be super honest, I am using ChatGPT on a daily basis. I use ChatGPT for today's presentation, not presentation, for today's podcast to prepare the questions, wrap up questions, all your intros. So I am a fan of ChatGPT and really love it. So yeah, totally. I am with you on that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what is the best way? How can people get a hold of you, say hello, connect with you, reach out if they have any questions? Um, so either LinkedIn, Facebook, Yael Kabili, or uh, my email, Yael at fortunate.net or website, fortunate.net. Brilliant, brilliant. As I was saying, thank you so, so much. You really thank shared you. a lot of valuable insights. And to our amazing listeners, thank you so, so much for your support. Sending you a lot of love. Tune in next Wednesday for more inspiring content. Take care. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good one. Bye-bye.